What's going on, everybody? This is Pastor James, and welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. We are starting Matthew chapter 24 today, and Jesus is going to be prophesying and warning the disciples about the future. Now, he is uh, doing this because um, there are some things that are going to happen that are going to be very instrumental in uh, the history of the Jewish people. And it's also going to be instrumental in how the church is going to respond and, and what they should be looking for and how everything should happen according to this. So we're going to read about half of the chapter. That's all we will have time for. Um, we're going to read through verse uh, 25 today. And uh, then we'll talk about it. But Jesus is speaking about the future. And let's see what Christ has to say. And then we'll talk and try to decipher that and uh, interpret it the best that we possibly can. So Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 25. Read this with me. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, Do you see all of these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And later Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when all this will happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and king against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter on this or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. Okay, well we finally come to the end of all the questioning and challenging between the religious leaders and Jesus, and he and his disciples are finally leaving the temple grounds and the disciples are pointing out the various buildings at the grounds. And something you have to understand is that the temple and all the surrounding structures in the temple courtyard that, that helped facilitate the temple and those religious practices were absolutely extraordinary for their time. Um, 
It is said that Herod's temple was much more extravagant than Solomon's original temple. And you have to understand that um, there, there are two very different approaches to this as far as the temple goes. You know, the first temple that Solomon built, David had stored up all the materials during his lifetime preparing for that. And then Solomon was able to build it. And Solomon took a great deal of care. In fact, it says that whenever the stones were being uh, chiseled and formed for the temple, that they were formed over a mile away, and so that you couldn't even hear the hammer striking the chisel or a piece of stone from where the temple was, that it was that far away. They took that much care and effort and... Um, disrespect in forming the temple. So there was a lot more of a, uh, a spiritual essence and a reverence in Solomon's temple, even though it may not have been as extraordinary as Herod's temple. Now, when you look at Herod's temple, the second temple, which we will be referring to today, they used a lot of things that were made from the tabernacle originally from Moses, like all the utensils and all that stuff was left from during that time. Uh, also, uh, they had things from Solomon's temple, you know, the first temple. Uh, but Herod went above and beyond in grandeur and effort to make sure that the, temp the temple and the surrounding structures of the temple courtyard were absolutely amazing. And so today, you know, it's kind of confusing because you have the Welling Wall in Jerusalem. And many people think that that Welling Wall is part of the temple from that time period, part of that second temple, but it actually wasn't even part of the temple. What happened is that the Welling Wall is a uh, retaining wall that Herod built in order to bring in dirt and expand the temple courtyard so he can make it much larger and much more luxurious and amazing. And so even though most of the Jewish people during Herod's time really did not like him and did not want him to be their king, they were very thankful and they did appreciate the effort that he put into rebuilding the temple for their worship and this is the temple that was still standing and being used as Jesus is in Jerusalem and having all of these arguments with the religious leaders and the this temple and the courtyard and the other structures were the ones that the disciples were marveling at in this moment so as the disciples were pointing out these buildings and probably admiring them because from what we read, not just in scripture, but from historical documents, the temple was an amazing structure. Uh, Jesus is kind of a buzzkill to their human admiration of these things, and he informs them that they will be completely destroyed with not one stone being left on top of another. And Jesus, in this moment, he is prophesying about the destruction of the temple that's eventually going to happen in 70 AD. So Jesus is 33. If we say that's 33 AD, you're looking at about 37 years from now, these temp this temple and all these buildings are going to be completely destroyed. Now, the Jewish historian Josephus actually records the destruction of the temple and this event as being one of the most horrific things that he's ever witnessed to happen in his lifetime. And so apparently during the attack when Jerusalem finally falls, when the city falls to Caesar Titus, um, Titus loses control of his army. This is kind of like a seven year 
thing that's taking place. Um, the soldiers had been there a long time. There were thousands of Roman soldiers that were killed in this process over these past seven years. And uh, apparently during the attack, um, basically the soldiers just lost it. And they slaughtered men, women, children, the elderly, babies. They had no mercy whatsoever. There was no pity, no quarter given. And what happened is, is that they entered as they entered the city, the soldiers uh, eventually made their way to the temple, and they knew and they understood that the temple was the center of Judaism, like it was the center of their law, their culture, their religion. It was the center of everything of who they were. So they went in and they started burning the temple immediately. And so the people of Jerusalem stopped fighting the Romans and ran to the temple in order to protect the temple and extinguish the fires. And so as the people had stopped fighting and they were focusing on the temple, the Roman soldiers uh, just began to slaughter those people um, as they were trying to focus on protecting the temple rather than fighting. And the Roman soldiers were just picking them off one by one. And it was said that um, the bodies around the altar were so piled up and they were they were piled up in heaps uh, because there were so many dead people in the temple trying to protect the temple and the things in the temple that blood was flowing from the altar all the way down the stones of the temple steps of where you entered into the temple um, and you know even considering this you know understanding that uh, the stones in Herod's second temple that it was said that the stones were there was gold and laid in between each stone so what happened is is after they uh looted the temple and they took everything of value out of it which there was a lot of gold a lot of silver a lot of bronze a lot of precious things inside the temple a lot of things with precious stones in them inside the temple once all those things were taken out the roman soldiers then began to pull the stones apart so that they could get the gold in between the stones and then they started throwing the stones down the hill and so you can still see today from what i've been told the piles of stones at the bottom of the hill that used to be the temple and so jesus is prophesying about all these things he's saying look all this stuff this isn't even going to exist um, he completely understood. Jesus understood that a structure does not make up what it means to worship and serve God. In fact, man-made structures, whether they're structural buildings or structural rules, which, you know, the Jewish people were dominated by both. They were dominated by the temple. They were dominated by the law. And, and those laws... You know, you, and you have to remember that the religious leaders during this time had made up a lot of their own rules, and they were focusing on their own rules rather than God's. And so the man-made structure, which was the temple, and the man-made rules, which they were obeying fervently, a lot of times those things restrict God because we like to restrict things and box things into structures that we understand and so if we ha if we build a temple we box god into the temple if we make up rules and laws we box god into those rules and laws and really we restrict god when we do that and jesus knew that man-made structures are temporary and he knew that they would eventually be brought down by men because that's what that's what humans do we make things and we tear things down we we build things and then we ruin them uh and he knew that the temple he could see it it this was going to happen it was not going to exist anymore and as they retreated to the mount of olives 
And as they're there alone, finally, without these great crowds watching over them and listening to Jesus and religious leaders pestering them, the disciples come to Jesus and inquire as to when all of these things are going to take place. Because this is very significant. I mean, what, what signs should we be looking for? What, what should we be doing to prepare for this? And Jesus gladly answers them. So, so let's go through this pretty quickly today. Um, Jesus told them, people are going to try to mislead you. One of the things that you need to be aware of is people are going to try to mislead you. Don't let them. Many people will claim to be the Messiah, but they won't be the Messiah. Wars and threats of wars are going to happen, but don't panic. All of these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Okay, so Jesus is talking about all these things, but the end's not going to follow immediately. Nations will go to war. Famines and earthquakes will happen all over the world, but these are only the first of the birth pains. Okay, and that's something that you really need to focus on when you're reading this, is that when Jesus is telling us about this, these are only the first of the birth pains. I mean, and that's, that's, it's a very hard thing to understand because I don't know if you have uh, any knowledge of birthing whatsoever, but we've, my wife has, we've had four pregnancies. We have two children, but we've had four pregnancies. And our first pregnancy was a, um, uh, we had our, our daughter at like 30 weeks and she was a stillbirth. And so we kind of experienced all those things. And I can remember my wife having Braxton Hicks contractions. And what that is, is she's having birthing pains, uh, but she wasn't even in labor. And so it's possible to have contractions without even really being in labor. And so when you think about the term of you could be having contractions and still not give birth for weeks. And so to understand that the process of birthing is such a long thing, it's such a long period of time, and and to know that, especially when you think about God and His understanding of timing, His His timing is a lot broader than our sense of timing. Like we're so focused on time and our timing because we are alive. We're so focused on now. This is all that we know, but God. His sense of timing is much broader because he is past, present, and future. And he's not in a rush because he doesn't have a ticking clock on himself. And so his concept of time is much broader than ours. And you got to remember, you know, it took 400 years for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham when it came to the promised land. So as you can imagine, when it comes to the end, this could be one of those things that's very slow and drawn out. And it's, it's designed that way to give the world time to repent. And we'll see that because as Jesus continues to list things, there's some other things that need to happen before the end can come. And so Jesus goes on to say, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be persecuted. Some of you are going to be killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Many people are going to turn away. They're going to betray each other. They're going to hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. And guys, this is something that we've seen many times throughout history in different parts of the world. You look at every nation, every culture, every group of people, they've experienced all these things. Christianity itself has spread through uh 
it, it spread through the Middle East, it spread through Asia, it spread through Europe, it spread through Africa. It has risen, it has fallen, persecution has uh, snuffed out Christianity in several parts of the world. Um, and so when you look at this, a lot of these things are being fulfilled at different times throughout the world. And so you kind of see the broadness of of God's or Jesus' explanation of this, even in different parts of the world throughout history since the time of Christ. And in America, we're beginning to experience a lot of these things in America today. And so it feels like we're living in the end of times because in America, we are experiencing this for the first time. But you also have to remember that they experienced this in Israel 2,000 years ago pretty quickly. Um, it, it's almost something that's a badge of honor that all Christian people all over the world must earn. And it seems that we uh, all have to endure these things at some point in time. And so when you look at verse 13, Jesus says that those who endure to the end will be saved. And so there's almost like a testing period for, for all people who claim to have faith in Christ to go through all this stuff. That how devoted are, are you to me? How, how much do you love me? How much are you willing to sacrifice for me? Those who endure to the end will be saved. It doesn't say that those who profess it once when they're a child will be saved. It says those who endure to the end will be saved. Jesus wants people who are in it for the long haul that they are willing to sacrifice their lives in the name of Jesus Christ. There's an expectation of the duration of believers through not only good times, but especially even during the bad times. And the good news about Jesus must be preached throughout the entire world. This is another thing that needs to be done. And when all nations hear about Jesus Christ, then the end will come. And the word being preached all over the entire world is currently being worked on. I mean, we actually had a missionary come to our church a few weeks back and talk about how they're translating the Bible in a language so that they will have access to God's Word and they can hear the message of the Gospel for the first time. <clears throat> this is being done all over the world, and there's still a significant number of people who's never heard the message of Jesus Christ. So this is in the process of being fulfilled, but it has not completely been fulfilled yet. And so even while a lot of this stuff is happening very near the time of Jesus, there's still a lot of these things that 2,000 years later still have not been accomplished yet. And so there's some of these things that have to take place <clears throat> in order for the end to be able to come. Now, something really interesting to think about this passage is, is that when you read the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is the only Gospel that talks about the second coming of the Messiah in this particular portion of Scripture. When you read Mark and Luke, the Gospels of Mark and Luke, they only talk about when the temple and the buildings would be destroyed. They actually, it, they don't. Mark and Luke doesn't mention when this Jesus would return. And the reason why the Gospel of Matthew mentions the second coming of Christ is because um, when Mark and Luke were written, it was still pretty early on, and people were still kind of expecting the Messiah to come. But when Matthew is written, it's written a good bit later 
And people who were expecting the second coming of the Messiah to come very soon, and the Messiah had not returned yet, when Jesus had not come back, people began to question his return. So Matthew includes this declaration of when Jesus would return, because Jesus said this, but it wasn't something that Mark and Luke felt they needed to write about. But Matthew talks about the second coming of the Messiah. And it's important to understand that Matthew is written specifically to Jewish people. And the Messiah that they expected to come to begin with was the conquering king. Well, Jesus comes the first time as a humble servant and sacrifice, but his second coming is going to be conquering king. And this is important to understand as you're reading Matthew. This would really appeal to uh, Jewish believers to understand the Messiah coming back as a conquering king because that's what they expected all along. Now, as we read Matthew and we read this portion of Scripture, especially verse 15, a lot of people are misled and they think that verse 15 is talking about the Antichrist taking his throne and desecrating the the holy place of the temple in what will be the third temple that hasn't been built yet. So a lot of people think that this is part of um, the end times or you know things to come that hasn't been fulfilled yet. Um, but you know th- there's not a temp- there's no third temple. We're still dealing with the second temple, and this is actually referring this passage verse 15 is referring to the Roman general Pompey who comes in Jerusalem, and he takes control of Jerusalem in 63 AD. Okay, so so Jerusalem kind of revolts. Uh, obviously, Rome had already been occupying Jerusalem for a long time, but Pompey comes back in in 63 AD. He regains control of Jerusalem, and Pompey goes into the temple, and he enters into the Holy of Holies, as an unclean Gentile, and he desecrates the most holy place with his presence. And so Jesus, when he's talking about this in verse 15, he's saying, look, this is written about, this is going to happen. Pompey does this in 63 AD, and Jesus foretold all of these things. And so Jesus is saying this because he knows that it's going to be desecrated when Pompey enters in. He knows that that seven years between 63 A.D. and 70 A.D., there's going to be a lot of tension and a lot of things happening between the Romans and the Jews. And eventually, the Romans come in 70 A.D., and they almost annihilate the entire Jewish population in Jerusalem as they're destroying the temple. you got to remember, elderly people, children, women, and especially the men were all killed mercilessly as the Jewish people stopped fighting and they start trying to save the temple and the Romans just keep killing them even though they're not even fighting anymore. And um, Jesus said that unless this time was shortened, that not a single person would survive, but for the sake of God's chosen people, it would be shortened. And so it's important to understand that according to historical documents, you know, Caesar Titus, he actually tried to get control of his men and he even ordered his own personal guards to start um, clubbing his own soldiers to get them under control. 
But the Roman legions were so out of control and so mad at this moment that they could not stop the destruction of the temple and they couldn't stop the killing. It was even said that Titus wanted to save the temple, but there was nothing he could do that the soldiers were already just out of control and doing whatever they wanted. And so, I mean, you got to remember, seven years, thousands of Roman soldiers at this point had died. Um, they were angry. They were releasing seven years of frustration and vengeance out on these people. And it wasn't, um, this wasn't necessarily a matter of what was going to happen in the far future. But you have to remember within, you know, 30 or 40 years, Jesus is saying all this was going to happen. So he's telling them what would happen in the near future and how this would be the beginning of the birth pains in order to, in order to usher in the end of time. So theoretically, you know, when you're reading this, you know, we hear a lot of people say today, oh, we're living in the end of times. Jesus could come back at any moment. Theoretically, yes, that is true. I mean, we have been living in the end of times since Jesus says this, since when, when the Messiah comes, I mean, that's the beginning of the end. And so Jesus is saying when these things happen, these are the beginning of the birth pains. So theoretically, yes, we are living in the end of times, and at the same time, the end of times could be much further along in the future, and uh, we may all be dead and gone for a long time before the Messiah, before Jesus has his second coming. So it's it's hard to think about that because we've been told by so many people in the church and by pastors in the past that you know we're living in the end times, so we're always expecting it. We're always like anticipating this. But in reality, like we, we should live like it's the end of times. Like Jesus could come back at any moment. That's how we should be living. But at the same time, we also have to understand that if he doesn't come back in our lifetime, it doesn't mean that God's word isn't true. It just means that we still don't understand and comprehend the timing of God and how he's going to work all this out. So uh, as Jesus is moving along through this, we're just going to talk about the last few verses, verses 23 through 25. He goes on in verse 23, and he goes back to the concept of false messiahs and false prophets. There are people who are going to do wonders and deceive many people, and you're being warned about them now. Jesus was warning the disciples, and he's warning his followers about them then. And it is important to remember that we can trust in Jesus being the, the Messiah because it was everyone else that proclaimed it. Everyone else proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah. If you remember... The only person that Jesus ever said, I am the Messiah to, was the woman at the well who had had five husbands and then was living with a man who wasn't her husband. That was the only person in Scripture we see where Jesus professes that he is the Messiah. And so you're talking about a Savior, you know, Jesus, who never proclaimed himself as the Messiah, but everyone else understood it. And it was such a magnitude of who he was and the sheer confidence that people had in him is the reason why Christianity spread across the world and changed the history of the entire world. When you think about how impactful Christianity has been to our world, God had to be in that. Like it had, God had to be in it in order for them to realize that, man, this is this has to be it like Jesus has to be the one because there's no other way there are people on TV who perform miracles 
There are going to be people who cast out demons in the name of Jesus, and Jesus is going to say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Like, but Lord, we did this in your name. We performed miracles in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Get away from me. I didn't know you. The ability to do cool stuff and powerful stuff does not necessarily mean that we belong to Jesus Christ. What is happening in our hearts and how we are devoted and surrendered to Christ and what we are willing to do in his name that he calls us to do, like giving up our lives for him, will be the testimony of who we truly belong to. So... As we uh, finish up today, and as we uh, you know get ready, and you know you think about what what we'll read next week, I just want to challenge you guys to really think in your life and ask yourself what you're focused on. How are you living? Are you living like Jesus could come back tomorrow? Um, even though Jesus may not come back tomorrow, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't live like it. Jesus might not come back for another thousand years, but it does not change the fact that we should be living as if he might come back at this very moment. And so if there's sin in your life, if there's animosity between you and another person, if you have anger in your heart, if there's anything, any kind of addiction or habit or sin or anything in your life that's holding you back from the Lord, those are things we need to give to God as soon as possible so that he can do a work in our life so that if Jesus does come back we can be ready to go because that's the whole point is we should be ready any given time and living for him in such a way that we have no question as to where would I be if he came back right now let's pray father thank you for this beautiful day for this time together just want to say we love you and we thank you for everything I pray Lord that you would help us all to live for you the way that you've called us to to give our hearts and lives to you, and to, um, Lord, to just surrender to you in such a way that we would be ready no matter what. We love you, we thank you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for listening in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. We hope to see you in person on campus, but if not, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcast. Hope you guys have a great week.